Sports Radio 104.3 The Fan. Every Saturday morning, it's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Terry takes you inside the outdoors. You know, hunting, fishing, camping. It's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Now, here's Terry. All right, we are back, and we are going to go um, right to the phones, and we are going to be joined by... um, Mr. Nate Zielinski, but before I do that, i got to tell you that Terry Wicks from Outdoors is brought to you in part by Honey Smoked Salmon from the Honey Smoked Fish Company. The secret is in the fire. Mr. Zielinski, I need help. You, I'm ready for to help you out, buddy. Well, I, I, I figured you'd say something like, you know I need help, but i got to tell you, went fishing in the last week, and Karen caught these huge crappies and outfished me, okay? Went shooting in the middle of the week, and she made me look like a rookie. I mean, I shot pretty good, but pretty good when you're shooting against her just isn't but it. Honestly, that's not like something new is happening. We know that happens with both our wives. I'm in the same boat as you. We always get beat up by the women. That's what it is. And I'll tell you what, as I said, I'm on Pogo Reservoir. We're going to talk about that here in a minute. But I had another female join us yesterday, a good friend of ours down here. We stay at their house, and we're down here at Pueblo. And this, this young lady named Gin, Ginny came on the boat, and she absolutely crushed everybody on the wall, I bet, as well. Women have the touch. They always have, and they always will. Yeah, she's, we're at this little pond in Loveland, and she's catching, like, 14-inch crappies. I mean, just <laughs> really? Give me a break. I'm catching bluegills, one bass that was okay, but I'm catching these bluegills, like, hand size, you know? And that's it. Then we go to the, she's complaining her hand is hurting, so we're going to go practice. She wants to try out some new guns. Well, she takes her standard defense gun that's one she's had forever. First four shots are, like, overlapping in the center. I go, yeah, you really need a new gun. (laughs) (laughs) So what's going on in the uh, fishing world? Let's get, it's, it's happening. We're getting to some of the best fishing, especially for numbers of the year. Absolutely, Terry. You know, that, that water's, you know, in the high 50s, low 60s in some situations, uh, and the bite's hot. You know, uh, Chatfield is on fire. A lot of people saw some videos of my kids last week catching fish. Uh, I had a, a couple 40 fish days with my kids out on Chatfield. Um, so the Chatfield walleye bite is going strong. The Cherry Creek walleye bite's going strong. Yesterday down here at Pueblo, I was setting up for our Bass Obsession event, which is taking place right now as we speak. Uh, you know, I had some time yesterday before we set up the, uh, our kind of scale and stage, uh, and put 112 walleyes in the boat yesterday uh, down here at Pueblo. So the the bite is hot most places you go. We kind of keep anticipating kind of a you know high water mark and runoff, but right now the water's warming up nice. It's kind of taking its time, um, and the bite's good everywhere you're going to be. You know, in most situations. Now, as you go through these three lakes, you name three of probably the best walleye fisheries in the state: Chatfield, Cherry Creek, and Pueblo. Um, are you are you approaching all three the same way or using the same techniques or are you seeing differences? You know, we're bouncing around, you know, so uh, I'll kind of walk you through all of them. Right now, um, you know, we're looking for numbers of fish. I can tell you honestly, we're not looking for big fish. It's not a situation where we're we're seeing a lot of those females. Um, right now, we're all about putting numbers in the boat. We're taking uh, people out that are looking to have a good time. So we're sitting on structure. I would say that every lake we're in, we're seeing these fish, say, from 10 feet of water uh, down to as deep as about 18, 19 feet of water, almost all lakes. Chatfield, I'd say 16 feet seems to be the sweet spot. Cherry Creek, it seems like 12 to 14 feet seems to be the sweet spot. Uh, down here at Pueblo, it's 16 to 20 feet seems to be that sweet spot. Um, but they're sitting on contour changes, so you want to be fishing the high points. Uh, I always tell people to focus on the top 25% of the structure, so the top quarter 
of the piece of structure that you're on is where you're going to try to put all that, that focus point. Um, Chatfield Trail Creek, I'd say it's a very traditional, whether you're throwing a, a twister tail or a small swim bait, um, all that's catching fish in those situations. Uh, Chatfield, we're doing better on live bait rigs. It's pulling like a Lindy rig with a half a night crawler is doing very well. Uh, and down here at Pueblo yesterday, we had two bites. Um, we were actually using kind of a Havoc, uh, I believe they call it a grass pig, uh, basically a small paddle tail side bait, three and a half inches, and we're actually swimming that above the, the, the sunken timber and above the sunken brush. Uh, Pueblo has actually came up about 40 inches in the last three days. Uh, so the water, the Arkansas River, is just absolutely filling this body of water up. Um, and so you're getting a lot of new submerged uh, vegetation. But regardless, it's kind of a, a funky bite. Everybody assumes that walleyes are always feeding on the gizzard chat, always feeding on the minnow base. And these fish down here are actually, for the most part, especially the younger walleyes, are feeding on midges. Uh, now, they're feeding on the larva that's sunken down in the water. So you have all these midge larvae that's attached to all this sunken brush, and that larva is kind of bouncing around and coming off that brush, and these walleyes are just gorging on it. I mean, we had fish yesterday that their entire mouth is just black um, with these midges. But regardless, your goal is to find that brush, fish near that brush or swim bait slightly over that brush and you're going to have a great day our second technique that worked down here at pueblo was slip bombers and this is something that we actually just shot a video we're going to post on our facebook page here shortly um it's kind of a lost art terry you know you grew up in the midwest where slip bombers was was second nature it's what you did out here in colorado in these western states you see some of the the you know say more educated anglers or, or some of the anglers that have been fishing quite a while use slip bobbers, but you don't see a lot of new anglers use slip bobbers. When in, in reality, if you find fish, especially on like a weed line or a brush line, there's nothing more deadly than, than a slip bobber with live bait sitting in front of the fish. And that's down here at Pueblo. It's literally every drop of the slip bobber you're going to catch fish. Well, I, I can tell you what we used to do on Mille Lacs, and you're very familiar with the Mille Lacs Lake in Minnesota, yep. where we'd get a lot of different bites. And when that um, it wasn't a midge, but a mayfly bite would come, mayfly hatch would come out of the mud flats, and those walleyes would go down and just gorge on those mayfly larvae down by the mud. So we would take slip bobbers and sometimes a nightcrawler, but usually a leech because they were down there feeding on these yep. black little worms, you know, those type of things. We'd put that slip bobber just inches above that mud, and the walleye bite was fantastic. And you talked about people not using bobbers enough. You know, some people think, oh, a bobber. It's an incredible way to keep the fish in your uh, keep your bait in the strike zone to not spook fish and to make a presentation that a lot of people can't make. The crappies Karen was catching at that pond just this last uh, just this last week was on a bobber. And and yep. and by the way, that was the River's Edge ponds in Loveland. I'm not trying to hide the fact they're good ponds, <laughs> but they're they're um it's an incredible way to fish. And too many people, I think you and I. And, you know, we get Chad on, we get your guys on, uh, you know, Will and the guys, and we talk. And sometimes I think we we try to take them to the next most popular presentation that, that's rocking the fishing world. But sometimes they're not going to have time to learn all these presentations. And a slip bobber is something you can just use whenever. Absolutely. Every fish in the, in the state of Colorado you could catch on a slip bobber. Again, there's just something about putting bait or, or food of whatever kind in food of the fish and leaving it there. And I'll tell you what, curiosity almost always kills the cat. I mean, it's there long enough. And it's just no better way to, to simply present food in the easiest fashion. And when you cater to fish like that, more times than not, those fish are going to take the bait. So, again, we, 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 
done a lot of videos on foot bobbers, but uh, foot bobbers down here in Pueblo, you find that that sunken brush line, you put a foot bobber right next to it. And I'll tell you what, we caught largemouth, we caught spots, we caught smallmouth, we caught walleye. Um, absolutely deadly. Again, 112 fish uh, in like a, a five to six hour period is pretty phenomenal fishing. And that, that's what's happening right here in Pueblo. Well, the one caveat I'll put then, the reason it works so well right now is because these fish are on structure. They're relating. They're not suspending with the shad. The, the young shad probably haven't hatched yet, and so yep. they're looking for alternate food sources. So because they're concentrated, and that's the one thing, the slip bobber is not a search rig. So because they're concentrated, that's what's making it so effective. Absolutely, Terry, 100%. Tell us about your bass event going on. Absolutely. You know, Terry, we're, we're so excited to start doing these events. This is our second bass event in history. We had one last fall. We have one this spring. We have another one this coming fall. Um, but we call it the Bass Obsession Open. And in Colorado, we have a pretty dedicated bass following. There's a lot of hardcore bass anglers in the state. Um, and with that, there's five or six clubs in the state. Now, all these clubs have tournaments. They have events. But due to affiliations or memberships, a lot of times these clubs fish their own events but initially break out and fish other events um, just in support of their own clubs. So we wanted to come in kind of as that, that independent company that could put on an event that everybody can fish. So it's great. We've got the club presidents from many of the clubs out here. We've got a lot of anglers out here competing on Pueblo Reservoir. Um, and it's great to see. And I'll tell you, the, the bite's kind of off from what everybody thought. There was a, a tournament last weekend up here, um, and the fish were starting to move up onto beds. I wouldn't say all the fish were up on beds, but you could compete a whole day in a tournament fishing for bed fish for those early fish that are coming up to spawn. Um, and this week, the water came up again, say, 40 inches in the last three days. The water's cooled off a little bit with that water coming in from the Arkansas, and it kind of put those bass into a funky state. The second that that water came up, they kind of go into panic mode. They pulled off of their beds, and they dropped into just slightly deeper water. Um, and they're in that transition stage of, you know, where's the water level going to be? Where should we make our nest? And should we spawn or not? So we caught bass and herd of bass coming as deep as 20 feet of water yesterday, as shallow as two, three feet on a few still uh, remaining spawning bedfish, um, and a lot of fish in between. So it's really anybody's game. I mean, we saw guys rigging up with plastics, you know, and sinkos. We saw a lot of guys with deep-running crankbaits. We saw some spinnerbaits. I mean, we've seen a lot of different baits and approaches uh, today, so it's hard to say. We're, we've been out a couple times checking it. A couple guys got some fish in the well, uh, but here in about the next hour, we'll start to kind of get a good idea of, uh, of who's leading who. But uh, I'll tell you, it's exciting out here. We love seeing it. Uh, and everybody can follow our Facebook page, Tightline Outdoors. Um, go there and you can watch it. We posted the video earlier. We're going to have another update at noon, and then we'll do our uh, weigh-in at 3 o'clock. So uh, hopefully we can keep everybody updated. Uh, but it's exciting. We'll really see uh, in, I don't really want to say tough conditions, but changing conditions, uh, who's going to come out on top and what technique and, and which fish are going to be going the strongest. You know, in a situation like this, especially in a lake like Pueblo, where you've got not only largemouth but smallmouth and spots, a lot of times my go-to when it's this kind of changing condition is two rigs on the deck of my boat. I'll have a, a, a jerkbait like the cutter from uh, Berkeley that I yep. can work the shallows, but you've got, you've really got to have long pauses in your cadence. And I'll follow that with a great presentation to follow that with then check out the bottom is a jig worm absolutely and we and there's a lot of guys with that very very situation most guys are throwing drip baits first thing in the morning uh then the high skies you know they're, they're going to drop down a little deeper and that's great and we had one guy that uh that was swearing by a chatterbait presentation so again you know when you, when you have a lot of boats full field out here we, we see a little bit of everything and uh it's definitely going to be a, a day to see what takes place and i think everybody's going to catch 
fish on a variety of techniques. We're just going to see that that big basket. We had a couple uh, couple of the star anglers of the region today. Uh, we talked to Matt Massey this morning. He was first in line. Um, you know, he's making a great name for himself fishing tournaments, and, and he thinks it's going to take some high weights. He's picking 13 to 15 pounds to win this event today. Uh, we've heard other people think it's going to take 9 to 10 pounds of a five-fish basket. So uh, it's wide open, and, and we'll see who can uh, who can match, match the talk. If people want more information on both your tournaments and your guide service, where do they go, Nate? You know, tightlineoutdoors.com. we got a walleye tournament next weekend. Uh, it's the last spring event for walleye insanity. Uh, so we're excited about that. we got our walleye league coming up this Wednesday afternoon at Cherry Creek Reservoir. It's the West Boat Ramp, 5 p.m. If you're not familiar with our league, uh, it's a great club-style event. It's $40 for a team of two. Uh, we literally fish from five to eight. You take a picture of your fish on the bump board, send it in, uh, and we pay out 100% of the take uh, to the top three anglers in an evening. It goes by longest fish. The longest fish wins. Uh, so that's Wednesday. Everything, again, you can go to Facebook and go to the website. Uh, but, yeah, we're full-blown. Guide trips, we got everything going on right now. So, uh, so jump on. We'd love to take you out. All right. Well, looking forward to a report from the Bass Tournament. We'll talk to you next week. Absolutely. We'll talk to you soon. All right. Nate Zielinski. Hey, you know, um, I want you to stay tuned because the next couple segments we're going to be joined by the director of Colorado Parks and Wildlife. And we're going to talk about what happens now after the funding bill was defeated and what, you know, what impacts we might see as outdoor people. And that's coming up after this time out. Terry Wickstrom Outdoors is brought to you in part by Honey Smoked Fish. Honey Smoked Fish Smoked Salmon. The secret is in the fire. All day I faced a barren waste without the taste <laughs> A request song from Kyle's father, who is an avid listener to the show. <laughs> All right, Blue Waters. That's an oldie but a goodie. You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Terry Wickstrom Outdoors is brought to you in part by the great folks at Sun Power Sports, Colorado's largest ATV and motorcycle dealer. We are going to go right to the phones because we are privileged and honored to be joined by Bob Brochide the Director of Colorado Parks and Wildlife. Good morning, Bob. Good morning, Terry. How are you? You know, I'm doing okay, but together I think we could be doing better. What happened? Well, um, I think you talked about it earlier. Um, we, well, for the last, you know, two years, I mean, we've been starting this conversation with our constituents about, you know, where we are in our funding and, and where this user pay, user benefit model of, of generating licensed dollars to help us manage fish and wildlife across the, the state. You know, we're, we're eventually going to get to the point of the revenues are not keeping up with expenditures. And, and when I mean expenditures, uh, I, it's good for your audience to know is that there's a lot of expenditures. This just isn't just me making these decisions. This is expenditures that are going up uh, just every year. Any business owner knows that, um, that we're going to get to a point. And uh, some things are going to have to be scaled back. And what that means is, is the, the products and services that our our customers, the co- all Coloradans who hunt and fish and visit our state parks, are you're, you're not just not going to see them anymore. So you know, knowing that the legislature has control over our license fee setting authority, um, that we had to run a bill, and we worked all of last year. We worked a lot of this year. We introduced the bill. Um, uh, as soon as we could, uh, certainly some things were out of our control in the introduction of that bill, but uh, it went through uh, just real quickly, went through three committees and the full house was voted out of the house about a, it was a 44 to 20, 28 votes, something along those lines. And then, of course, it goes over to the Senate and died in the first committee. It was in the Senate Finance Committee. It was the first committee that heard this. 
And uh, uh, they call it postponed indefinitely. What that means is you can't bring it back up this session. So you're going to have to come back again next year. And uh, so it was, a, it was a crushing blow, Terry. I, I, we had a lot, a lot of, of groups, yourself included, I know, uh, very supportive of this. You did everything you could. Um, we had 25 to 1 people testifying at the legislature representing themselves, uh, very large conservation organizations at the local, state, and national level. Uh, and just we just couldn't get it done. Well, let me give people a little background in how this bill went and how it got stopped. And I know some of these things you have to be politically correct in what you talk about, but I don't. Um, it went through the House on a bipartisan huge majority, as you mentioned. Um, it went to the Senate and died in this committee. And I contacted all five members of the Finance Committee on the Senate and I only got one to respond. I got one that was going to do an interview and then backed out at the last minute. Lois Court, a Democrat from Arapahoe and Denver, was the uh, only one that responded, and she was extremely positive about the bill. She voted yes. Um, the other uh, person that voted yes was also a Democrat, and that was Daniel Kagan. He was going to do an interview, but he had a, a conflict. All three of the Republicans on the committee who voted against the bill and killed it um, promised I would Tim, Tim Neville promised me a statement. His, his aide promised me a statement by the end of last week, which never came. The other two, uh, I couldn't get a hold of their aides. I left phone messages and emails and never got a response. But I will tell you that the bill was not only bipartisanly passed in the House, but it was passed by, it was sponsored by two Democrats and two Republicans. And I, I tried to get some comments, so I searched through other media to get comments on the people that voted against it. One, you said maybe the timing of the bill. Somebody mentioned the timing of the bill. Well, I, I went back, and my first my first article on this was May of last year in the Denver Post. I wrote four follow-up articles over the last year and a half, plus had you on the radio at least three times talking about it, plus the public meetings that you had. I had, um, uh, the, uh, you said, and... Lois Court was very uh, forthcoming. She said the testimony, as you said, was overwhelmingly in favor of the board of, of the the bill from grassroots all the way to corporations. Uh, then the other thing, I so I asked, I, I I reached out to all these senators and said, was there a flaw in the bill? Do you feel that the money wasn't right? What were the purposes? None would respond, and it puts me in an awkward situation, Bob, because I and I don't don't usually bring my politics up on the air, but I'm usually a fairly conservative voter. But I've really um, disappointed in the Republicans in the state Senate on this. Now, you don't have to comment, but where do we go from here now? Well, that's a great question, Terry. And, and uh, you know, once the, uh, the, the blow of the, of the defeat of the bill uh, happened, you know, I, I'm, you know, I, I'm always I think it's one to reflect on what we could have done better and could have done differently. But, you know, legislation and for, for folks out there that are listening that have have either worked on or ran legislation through any legislature or even Congress, um, it's very, very complicated. And politics is is, is very a complicated process. And uh, uh, like I said at our commission meeting the next day after the bill died, I said, you know, politics is what gets the bill through and what gets the bill killed. And you you got to learn to play in, in that and understand what's going on. And, and certainly there's a lot of other pressures the legislature was dealing with this year um, that you, you've probably seen in the news. 
I think the take-home message on this it just needs to continue to be, Terry, is that we we have a very few, relatively speaking, of the number of licensed hunters and anglers in the state that are engaging in this process. And it's you can go back to you know 1877. Um, this is when the legislature, the General Assembly at the time, started establishing fees. It, this is a long relationship that we've had between the division and the legislature and they their license fee hunting city uh, uh, hunting license fees dates back to 1903 and it's it's always been there it, it was a it was a different time but we have got to get all of our hunters and anglers engaged in this process they have to understand and this is an educational process um I, I, we've saw, I talked about it before many times on the year terry that we can't take this for granted anymore. There are many, many threats out there about the hunting and fishing way of life um, at the state level, at the national level, and even the international level. It's, it's a, we've got to get engaged. We've got to keep this in the forefront of the legislature as well as even our own, that our own hunters and anglers that need to understand how this funding is generated and where this funding goes. Um, you know, we can have the art, the discussions and, and arguments about where the money goes and what programs, but if there's no money, there's not going to be any argument. And that's kind of where we're heading towards um, here and then, I think, in the real near future. So I think, you know, there are discussions about trying to run this bill again next year, but I think what we do is take this time from between now and then to to really, really wake up our constituents out there to just write a letter, send an email, show up and testify, or support some of these groups, send a contribution to some of those groups that are, are down there, and we'll do this work for you and represent you. Now, I think a couple points. I want to make a couple quick points really quickly. Then I think we'll go to a break, and we come back, I want you to tell me, you know, you've kind of touched on what you're going to try to do to get things going again, but where we are if we don't get a bill. And first of all, this you know, I heard a comment from the legislators, some on the side that voted against, and I can't trace who it was attributed to, that there was possibly voted against because of higher taxes and big government. Well, this is user fees. This isn't taxes. The North American model has been the hunting and fishing public supports our fishing game and our parks departments across this country. And so it's not a question of growing government and raising taxes. So, but, and I just think that we've really got to get people engaged, like you said. So when we come back, Bob, what I would, what I would like to do is I would like you to start by saying, what programs may be in jeopardy, and then what what we really need to do, and when you might try to reintroduce this. Is that okay? It sounds great. I'm going to put you on hold, and we will be back in just a few minutes. Uh, Terry Wickstrom Outdoors is brought to you in part by the great folks at uh, Sun Enterprises. Sun, Sun Power Sports is the largest ATV and motorcycle dealer in Colorado. Terry Wickstrom Outdoors is brought to you in part by Sportsman's Warehouse, America's premier outfitter. I want to go right back to the phones. We're honored and have the pleasure of being joined by um, the director of Colorado Parks and Wildlife, Bob Broscheid. Bob, we're only going to have a few minutes left, so we talked a little bit about what happened, and, and hopefully we can get to where we go from here. But assuming we can't even introduce a bill now until January session of next year, and that'll already be into next year. Can you kind of elaborate on what some of the expenditures that may cause programs that are in danger? Sure, Terry. You know, one of the biggest 
challenges that we were facing was the aquatic nuisance species program. And, you know, it's, and then we talked about before, but just a quick recap for those who didn't catch the last show, we, we talked, you know, we lost our severance tax dollars. Um, it was the downturn in the economy and what that, Prime mostly funded the entire nuisance species program. These are the boat inspections that uh, that you we've all experienced as you go into this, uh, the reservoirs in the state. It's a way to prevent the the introduction of of ANS uh, uh, critters into our lake. And so when we lost that um, that funding, what that did was cause us to shut down you know, or look at shutting down a lot of those boat ramps. Well, of course, that not only concerned us and it concerned our constituents, it also concerned the water providers who, who pretty much own these reservoirs. Uh, luckily, this year, the, the, the uh, legislature uh, gave us just about $4 million. So it's, it's over a $5 billion program. They gave us about $4 million here general fund to keep this, this program going into this voting season. But after that, Terry, there, there is no money, and we have got to regroup and, and with our partners and, and, and constituents to figure out how we're going to pay for this. So we had a proposed solution in the bill, of course, which didn't pass, but um, that's a real immediate need, as you know. Um, that's, uh, that's something that concerned the water providers, and they actually came out in very strong support of this bill because, you know, that. I think a lot of folks have got to realize that even those parks that have those reservoirs, we don't own those. Those are usually a federal agency or, or and managed by water providers, how Denver and the rest of the state gets their water, drinking water or agricultural water. They're making those decisions. And, you know, recreation is secondary to water uh, and, and water delivery for, for municipal and agricultural use. So, we tried to make that case down there, and I think it got a little confusing with some members that that there is no long-term funding here. And uh, so that was one real immediate need. The other two, Terry, and folks, you're more than welcome to go to our website. We listed a whole bunch of things on there that that are immediate needs, you know, dams, repair of these dams that are 50, 60, and even in some cases 70 years old. Um, we also have public access, and this is for, for hunting and fishing, getting into those waters and, and habitats. Um, we've got hatcheries that are just about as old as our dams that need to be restored. And, and you know, and on the park side, you know, this, this the maintenance of all of those facilities, trails, campgrounds, and visitor centers, and those types of things, are they're, they're getting to the end of their life. It's just like any infrastructure that any business has. You've got to replace those those over a period of time or keep them up. And we're kind of coming to this this crossroads of do we you know shift a lot of the funding um, and put it into some of these high priority areas? Well, you know we we only spend what we generate and and no more and and usually no less. And that's so that's. That's how we're looking at this as we're going forward, Terry. It's just, it's just, it's going to be decision making, and it's certainly going to involve the public here. But uh, if we don't see, I don't think any funding in, uh, increases here in the near future. I think we're going to have a really, really tough and hard conversation with uh, with our constituents as well as with our commission about what we're just not going to do anymore. And uh, regardless of how you slice it, Terry, there's going to be losers. Uh, well, just. And you know, Bob, this it's going to be losers. If we lose access and facilities 
it not only is going to affect the outdoor public and, and it's going to restrict their recreation, but the economic impact to Colorado, both from resident hunting and fishing and from the tourist industry, Hunting, fishing, and wildlife watching alone generate $6 billion in Colorado. That doesn't count camping, hiking, and uh, trail riding, whether it's motorized or non-motorized. And a lot of the rural towns, you know, everybody was so worried about the rural hospitals in Colorado. Well, you won't need a hospital if those rural communities go away because they have no income. That's absolutely a great point. Um, You know, hunting, fishing, parks, although we have some great here uh, right off the Denver metro area, but, you know, our, most of our economic impact is out in the rural Colorado. There's no question about it. Uh, you, we've all been through there when hunting season opens. Um, towns and cities and, and counties, the, the, the tax revenue that's generated from people staying in hotels and buying the gas and, and, and going in and drinking beer or having a, a hamburger in these, these bars and restaurants, that's what that's a major economic engine in a lot of these areas. And uh, we can't forget about that. And I think a lot of people that did weigh in that represented those industries as well as local governments uh, weighed in because that's how important this is. And, and it's essential to the economy of the overall state. Well, Bob, we have about a minute, minute and a half left. Would you tell me what you need from the public and when you can take action again? Terry, I'd love to. Uh, I think for you folks out there, um, that that are hunters and anglers, thank you, uh, thank you for that support. Um, it, this is this is much bigger than just uh, than ourselves, and, and much bigger than our agency. You have got to get involved. We have got to get engaged. I've heard over and over. Well, I didn't hear about it, or I didn't know about it. You know, I think between the millions of listeners you have, Terry, our website. There's really there's really no excuse not to be educated on what is going on. Uh, and we really try to this effort. But I think at the individual, you all have to get involved in this and, and hunting and fishing and not just this bill, but all things related to this, because we are going to lose it one day. And, it, and unfortunately, when you lose something like this, you will probably never get it back or join an organization. Go to your Facebook page, Terry, or have them go to yours or go to ours. We have got to get educated and stay informed. And sometimes that means you've got to do a little effort on yourself. But uh, certainly supporting some of the, the conservation organizations out there. Do your homework. Uh, understand where their money is going and why it's going there. Believe in what they do. Uh, that that there, are, there are. There's very few people considering the total numbers out there that are actually fighting this fight for you. We need to support them. Bob, we've got to let you go, but I want to tell people that I will be dedicating my column, my weekly column in the Denver Post, uh, to what we covered here. It will also have a link to this podcast, and it will have all the information I got in my attempts to contact the senators on that committee. I want to, I want to give kudos to uh, Lois Court for taking the time to spend time to talk to me about it, and she did vote positively for the bill. So, Bob, we'll do everything we can. Um, thanks for joining us, and we'll get you back on soon to check the progress. My pleasure, Terry. Thanks for what you do. All right. That's uh, Bob Broshide, Director of Parks and Wildlife. So, you know, follow or or um, follow or or like Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on Facebook. I'm going to keep you up to date on this. Plus, it keeps you up to date on everything on this radio program, and it allows us to take some contests and giveaways and get you involved and maybe win something, you know. 
Uh, Terry Wickstrom Outdoors is brought to you in part by Sportsman's Warehouse, America's premier outfitter. Terry Wickstrom Outdoors is brought to you in part by Honey Smoke Fish Company's Honey Smoke Salmon. The secret is in the fire. And joining us now is Ronnie Castiglione. And Ronnie, I know you want to talk about topwater fishing, but before we do that, um, you've been part of the show for a long time. Honey smoked salmon, I, I, can't, I can't find enough ways to use it. I mean, I love it right out of the package. I put it in, I put it in spreads all the time with cream cheese. I put it in omelets. As a, not only a professional fisherman, but as a chef, you got some ideas for me? You know, Terry, I am a big fan of the honey smoked salmon. There's no doubt about it. Um, it is an excellent, you know, ingredient in making a bunch of dish. There's no, there's no doubt in that. But one of the things I want to say real fast about the honey smoked salmon, and one of the reasons I'm such a huge fan of it, is that it's very low in sodium, Terry. Uh, the way they, their, their smoking process, they put very little salt on on any of the meats that they're doing. And so for me as a guy that's getting a little older, you know, I'm in my 40s. I'm a I don't want to hear about that, you getting older. Yeah, I understand. <laughs> I'm a big fan of something that uh, is very, very high in omega-3s and that kind of thing, all those heart-healthy fats like that salmon is. But there's very little sodium in that salmon, the way they do it, Terry. So it's, it's really good for you. But I can give you one good, quick uh, idea that you could use honey-smoked salmon for, and that is, is to, you know, shred it up a little bit and roll it into some corn tortillas and make yourself some uh, salmon taquitos you know you can pan fry those or you can deep fry them or you can even cook them on the grill terry and then maybe dip those in some sort of an avocado aioli or something like that that you could whip up Ooh. real fast uh that stuff's outstanding when you when you use it for that kind of a presentation terry you know the only bad thing is when i do stuff like that is i eat so much of it when i'm making it out of the package that i run out it, it is it is so good snack terry i i love eating honey smoked salmon before i go to bed because i like to get something in me and i can put it on crackers and i'm not getting a lot of carbs but i'm getting really good fat and i'm getting really good protein it so is great stuff I'm a big fan oh i am too hey let's talk some fishing i know you want to kind of talk to us about uh surface baits i believe yeah, you know, Terry, it's getting to be that time of the year. Um, I've had several of my clients and a couple of people that have emailed me lately asking me questions about surface lures because it's kind of on everybody's mind, you know. The first question everybody wants to ask is, you know, what, when do I start throwing surface lures in the year? Um, a lot of that has to do with water temperature, Terry. There's no doubt about it. Uh, there's kind of a magic water temperature that once I see on the graph, I usually am going to pick up a surface lure and give it a try. And that's right around 58 degrees for me, Terry. Um, anytime we get right around 58 degrees, and definitely as it warms into the 60s, uh, you'll find that the smallmouth are all about eating surface lures early and late in the day, and the largemouth will come up and blast the surface lure pretty much all day long uh, a lot of the times, Terry. So, you know, it is getting to be that time of year where you want to start thinking about using one. Now, a lot of people, when they think surface lures, you know, everybody's excited when something hits a topwater bait or something. But a lot of people, you mentioned the temperature. But they're kind of not aware of where to fish them. Now, I think everybody knows that, you know, along the edge of a weed bed or something like that. Sure. But there's a lot of other places where they can, especially for smallmouth, they'll come a long way to hit them, won't they? 
They really will, Terry. And, yeah, it's going to depend on the body of water you're on, uh, you know, as to what kind of surface lures you may opt to use. Uh, the big difference is going to be on whether you're on a lake that has, you know, a lot of cover and a lot of grass growing in it, that kind of a lake, something like Boyd Lake. Or if you're up on horse teeth where you, you may have some cover when the lake's real high, but there's very little little grass that grows in there. Um, so you're going to decide, you know, on which you're going to use, whether you're going to use a surface lure that's got the open hooks, something with treble hooks hanging off of it, or whether you're going to go with a soft plastic surface lure that will work its way through that grass but like you're asking about you know smallies absolutely on the points on the humps anywhere where those smallmouth are gathering up looking to feed as we get into late spring and as summer kicks around especially when you get the right conditions terry especially when you get a little bit of overcast and a relatively calm condition as far as the wind goes uh you know when those things are happening those fish those smallmouth especially they'll eat a surface lure all day long in those kind of conditions terry no, they really will. And what are some of your, let's start with the smallmouth or like at horse tooth, and then let's go to maybe the large and smallmouth at Boyd or something like sure. that as examples. What are your favorite presentations like at horse tooth? Sure. So on horse tooth, I, I, I'm going to try to determine on any given day whether they're going to bite a popper or they're going to bite a walking bait of some sort. Uh, that tends to be my two surface lures of choice up on horse tooth. I may go to a propped bait now and then, maybe a buzz bait, maybe something like a whopper plopper or something like that that has a prop that spins on it when you reel it across. But it's you know, for the most part, it's either I've got a, a, a surface popper, something in that, let's say, two to maybe three-inch range, something in that size range, uh, anything that's either kind of shaddy in profile or, or maybe even sort of perchy in profile is going to produce up on horse tooth. Um, if it seems like when I'm working a popper that they're not wanting to hit it when it's sitting still and that I'm not getting strikes when I'm moving it relatively slow, but if I'm moving it real, real fast, it's getting strikes, a lot of times that will tell me on that day that, Boy, if I was to pick up a walking bait instead of a, a popper, I may get even more strikes, and, and that happens a lot of times. So I usually want to row to, through, through those two kind of baits up on that lake, Terry. Now, you asked about Boyd. When we get down on Boyd, I'll throw surface lures. I'll throw poppers down there and walking baits down there as well. But when I get up around the real heavy aquatic grass, uh, that's the kind of area that I'm a big fan of using those you know, hollow soft plastic frogs, Terry. Uh, there's not a much funner way of catching a fish than seeing one come up and absolutely cannonball a, a big soft plastic frog as it's coming across the mat. And, you know, when you're fishing that style, you go at them with a real big stick, Terry, so you're not going at them with light equipment. You're going at them with heavy line and a big stiff rod so you can yank them up on out of there, and that's a lot of fun, Terry. If people haven't done that, that's an excellent way of catching a big largemouth. Don't you think a lot of people um, don't develop confidence in surface lures because they – they fish them maybe at the wrong time or don't fish them enough to get proficient with them. And I know with myself, I always have, like you talked about a, the, you talked about three, really. You talked about a popper, a walking bait, and a frog. And, of course, there's a myriad of other surface baits. Popper is, my, popper is my go-to confidence bait when I'm surface fishing. But when I get in that heavy that cover, fun. I'll throw a frog once in a while. But a lot of times sure. I'm throwing... Uh, a swim bait, and I'm just rigging a Texas rig and playing the holes. So, I mean, sure. th those are my confidence baits. 
Yeah, and you know, in a buzz bait, I brought up that a little bit. Any of those prop baits, those can be really good in a little windier conditions at times. Um, when those fish will come up and get something that's moving real fast like that, that uh, buzz bait throws off a lot of vibration and a lot of sound. and it, it will call fish in a distance, and they'll come up and blast it. But there's some days where they won't touch a bait like that, Terry. So the key with the surface lures is when you're in that time frame, you're in that sort of, you know, you're thinking about trying one, is to rotate through several ones, but not just rotate through, like, different colors or different brands. Go ahead and rotate through the different styles and figure out how fast of a bait do these fish want running from them. Uh, a lot of times up on horseshoes, as we get into the spawn and into post-spawn, uh, when we're working poppers up on a lake like that, it's almost like we're working a jerk bait real early in the year. We may pop it once or twice and then give it a real long pause and let it sit there on the surface for a minute or more, and that's when those fish come up and blast it. So that's kind of what you have to determine on any given day, Terry, with the surface lure is how aggressive these fish are going to be, what kind of cover or what kind of structure they're on and what kind of presentation they're going to go after. One minute, Ronnie. If you were going fishing today or tomorrow, where would you send somebody? Um, you know, Boyd's been fishing really good, but Boyd's been really, really busy as well, and there's several tournaments going off over there. Horseshoe's been fishing excellent, and, you know, it's a much bigger lake, so that's a very good call. You know, a lot of the ponds are fishing outstanding right now, Terry. Uh, we're post-spawning some of these smaller ponds, and you're getting some of the bass crews in the banks looking for the bluegills to start moving up. That's when you can catch them on surface lures and ponds, Terry. So I might be also sending people around to some of the neighborhood ponds and checking out some of those. You're absolutely right. In fact, Karen and I were out to a pond just last weekend, and we she caught huge crappies, and I caught a bass. And it was the River's Edge Ponds in, in Loveland, but there's ponds near everybody. And this is a great time of the year to hit them. And the bite's going to keep coming on in the lakes. And, of course, the walleye bite's good on all the lakes right now. But you're right. It's better if you can get out during the week when it's not so busy. Ronnie, we'll talk to you again very soon. Hey, I got one more quick hot tip for you on a, on a place to fish, Terry. All right. I just went out to North Sterling, and they absolutely blasted the walleyes out there. So that's a good tip. Thanks, Terry. I'll talk to you later. All right. Thanks, Ronnie. Ronnie Castiglione from Fishful Thinker he joins us every other Saturday right here. We're going to wrap things up. Um, we covered a lot of topics, some fun, some controversial today. Um, don't forget, I am going to be following up on my interview with Director of uh, Parks and Wildlife Bob Broshide in my Denver Post column. And if you want to follow my Denver Post column, all you have to do is follow me on Facebook at Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Every time my column comes out, we post it on Facebook, give you a direct link to that column. Also, we've got our Ask the Expert segment back where you can win a $25 gift card from Sportsman's Warehouse. All the instructions are on my Facebook page. We just reposted it. It's at the top of the page. So go to my Facebook page, Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. In fact, like and follow Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on Facebook. That's going to tell you when we add a new television show to our YouTube channel. It's going to tell you when uh, what my column was from the Denver Post. It's going to tell you what's coming up on the radio. And it's going to keep you informed about all the contests we have where you can win prizes. And don't forget to tune in. Every Saturday from 9 to 11 for Terry Wickstrom Outdoors right here on 104.3 The Fan. Thanks to Karen for making me look bad in the outdoors this week, both out shooting and out fishing me. Thanks to Kyle for running the board on this show. Thanks to all the partners we have that make this show possible. And thank you listeners for taking part. Follow us on Facebook. Tune in every Saturday. We'll let the Eagles take us to the top of the hour on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors, 104.3 The Fan. There she stood.